Jason. Today's episode of the Lee Summit Town Hall Podcast is brought to the good people by Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. Budget Blinds! Hey, did you know? No, I don't know anything. This is true. But here you go. Here's some drop of knowledge. Budget Blinds is your home for the enlightened style shades. All hail our even newer robot shade overlords. And here's a little secret. Our friends there at Budget Blinds, mm-hmm. they're coming up on their 20th anniversary just Everyb- a few months away. Everybody's having their 20th anniversary, man. I know. I feel like I should be older. <laughs> I mean, let's be clear, Nick. You are older. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, if you are looking as, you know, spring has sprung, summer's coming up, we're ready for some vacation home improvement time. If you're ready to jazz up your house with new shades, all sorts of other new interior design things, Jason, who are our friends that will help them do that? Our friends at Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. Just head right to the heart of our community in downtown Lee Summit. Visit our friends at Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. Tell them Jason and Nick sent you. The podcast is also brought to the people by Ask Kathy of Keller Williams Realty, another local business located in downtown celebrating 20 years in business that is they are they've been doing this and i would say this it's like the realtor business and and not to casting assertions but it's not something that everybody stays in for 20 years like the home sales residential real estate type of thing like that is not a thing it's a thing that people go into longevity for longevity takes commitment and skill right and and kathy has demonstrated that commitment and skill she has lasted 20 years she's helped something along the lines of 2300 families and growing over just the, the last of her year career. and Lots and lots of good reviews. This is a person who knows her business, her office, located in downtown Lee Summit. And the market is still hot. So I think that their sales record from 2021, where they got 104% of the asking price on average on homes that they were listing, is going to hold for 2022 as well. So if you are in the market to sell or buy a home, who are you going to call? You're going to call our friends at Ask Kathy of Keller Williams Realty. Tell them Jason and Nick sent you. Hello again and welcome to Lee's Summit Town Hall, the weekly podcast about what you can do to make a difference. I am Jason Norbury and as always, I am joined by a man who loves car repairs as much as I do. It's Nick Parker, the publisher of Link to Lee's Summit. You lied. Oh, You're starting our show with a lie. Look, this is, no, I would say you love it as much as I do. We <laughs> both hate it in, with a, a deep, fiery passion. I would say my home, and, and, and you know, let's take a moment to express that this is the first worldest of first world problems, has four cars. And yesterday, there was a point in time where I had access to be able to drive exactly zero of them. Just, not, just that's where we were yesterday. Not good, man. We had we had two at the shop, one being taken by the boss, and the other had the keys locked in it by another <laughs> member of our house. And so it was um, it was a comedy of problem. And and so I just I just stayed home. <laughs> I just can't give up. I just stayed home. Just 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 give up for the day. That's, I'm done. I'm out. I'm out of there. So anyway, car repairs are terrible, but Link to Lee Summit is the source for all the news you need about our very fine city. And the unofficial sponsor today is text messaging, which you can basically get, like sign up for, like basically to get text messages about just about anything, including, as it turns out, car repairs, which I get now a a series of text messages updating me on the status of my car repairs as they go through. 
have you gotten the text message yet that says your car is ready to pick up? No. Well, one of them, yes. Uh, the other of them that is in the shop is no. But it, and and that's a ten day. That's a ten day stay. It's a long hospital stay for that one. Ruh-roh. Body work is, if nothing else, slow. Well, let's talk about some things happening in the community, Jason. We've got some good stuff. First off, I take my mind off of my cars. There we go. First off, I want to start with. If you listened to our last episode, we took last week off for a little little break, but two weeks ago we had a great interview with Seth Allen talking about the new, the newly opened uh, Libations. Libations and Company moved from its smaller space to the historic Stanley Building, and it's now open, guys. And I'm going to give him credit. He said it would be open on the 5th. It was open on the 5th. Like, I mean, like, that's an impressive, sta- that's open an impressive thing. Open and hopping. Hoping and hopping, like busy as can be, all the good things, but you should go by all kinds of, they are already into some of the new stuff that they can do in the new building. They're taking reservations and doing all sorts of other things that you can do there. Go visit the new libations. It's like literally one door away from the old libations. I think you can find it. There you go. Hey, uh, here's some other good news. Uh-huh. It's been a couple years. Legacy Blast is set to return July 1st this year. So if you're missing the big fireworks show that we haven't had for a couple of years because, Jason, COVID ruins everything. COVID ruined everything. Uh, the Parks Department and City of Lee Summit announced uh, last week that Legacy Blast will be returning this year, July 1st. You can head over to our website, linktoleesummit.com, for all of the details on that as far as when the park opens and when the show is going to open. But I'm excited to have that back. I love a good fireworks show. And in the meantime, you don't have to wait till July to go to Legacy Park and enjoy some stuff. No, we got some good things happening in just one week. That's right. May 20th is our first uh, is the first Parks and Rec concert at the Amphitheater. The Rock the Imp series is back and I think full bore this year but the first one is big names Beatles versus the Stones not the actual Beatles or the actual Rolling Stones of course this is a cover thing oh you just let me down well I know but I didn't want to set the bar too high uh it is uh a week from Friday May 20th there at the the amphitheater if you get your tickets in advance is 15 at the gate is 20 and you can go to rocktheamp.net to uh to see what what's going on I got a question Jason Mm -hmm. this is an important question for you yeah who are you supporting there? Are you Team Beatles or Team Stones in this battle? Man, I tell you what, my life, I have varied back and forth a little bit, but it's almost always, like, I, I get down to, like, 51, 49 Beatles, and then it moves back out to, I'm a Beatles guy. In the end, I'm a Beatles guy. You know what? I hate it because I wanted us to be different, mm-hmm. but we're going we're gonna to agree. I, I, I want to be, like, there's a part of me that I want to be Team Stones in this battle. Right. But I'm Beatles. I, I, I will say this. I think and it's not strong either way, but I, I want to say this. Is I the, listen to more Beatles. The, Beat, the fact that the Beatles stopped producing music like around the time of my birth means that they never got old and bad. And the some of the stones like the, the when I was in the, you know, my prime listening music, like formative music years and like the 80s, what have you. The new stone stuff that came out then is not as good as the 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 uh, the original the the vintage stone stuff from the 60s and 70s and so it's a little colored and it just doesn't quite hold the same like oomph for me but that's not i mean look they were both awesome both both are awesome and look you want some good music a great way to kick off the concert series at the amphitheater head out next friday may 20th beatles versus the stones i think that'll be it'll be a lot of fun head to rocktheamp.net for all the details and if i'm betting on which member of the band lives the longest it's still keith richards <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's um. Let, let, our, our our last thing that I do I want to talk about, and this is this is 
goes back to the reasons we do this show about people being involved. Jason, there's a great example that just happened at our city council meeting uh, yesterday on Tuesday night. A great example of the people, the voters getting involved and affecting process change, right? So a proposed development for, let's say, what, north of Lakewood-ish, just, just right by the Lakewood neighborhoods, there was a proposed development. Neighborhood people, residents, filed petitions. They didn't like it. They had they gave their reasons in these petitions, and that triggered, Jason, a process that led to, for now, that development is not going to happen. Why don't you walk us through that a little bit, Jason, and, and, and tell us what happened in that process. Okay, so to just to start, it's not just anybody who gets to file a protest petition. So the plot of land is, is a piece of land that fronts, um, that basically is on just on the west side of I-70, a little bit north of Lakewood Boulevard. What happened there is, is so when a certain percentage, a triggering percentage, and I believe it's 30% of the properties within 185 feet of the proposed development file protest petitions, uh, the protest petition go on. They got up to 55% of them, so it triggered that process. And what that basically does is two things. One is... The protest petitions have to be in writing, and so you have to put out your reasons and all that on, on, like in paper and in a form that goes to that. And what it does then is it triggers, in order for it to become, that development to be approved, it has to be uh, approved at the city council level by a supermajority. So typically we need five votes, including the mayor, up, you know, or involving up to and including the mayor to pass anything to become an ordinance in the city. And when we get to protest mission, it bumps that number up one to six. <clears throat> and so what that means is, is it went through its, it went through multiple times through the planning commission, got passed by the planning commission, went up to city council, and the city council held their public hearing on it on Tuesday night. Three and a half hours on this development at the city council. Let's pause real quick. Can you can you tell us a little bit about what some of the the reasons that residents gave uh, for for this petition against sure uh, I mean the ones that uh, at least were noted in some of the the public documents were concerns about stormwater there are apparently or at least allegedly uh, some flooding and stormwater issues in the neighbors in the neighboring properties uh, so some of the residents were concerned about the the impact of that development on that and that they won't fix it or whatever there were concerns expressed about traffic there were concerns expressed though the road that runs along there is anderson drive i think is the name of it uh anderson park drive and it runs alongside of it and it's it's a pretty unimproved road. It's like two lane, no shoulder, all that. So they were concerned about the, the capacity of the road. Uh, they were concerned about school capacity, density. Uh, there were express uh, complaints expressed about losing open space as well, though that one I think it's almost no bearing because the person who owns the land can try to develop and build stuff on the land if they want to within the rules of the city. The biggest thing that, they, that I think that probably came through that process is, is the other part is, is that the comprehensive plan for the city had that area, that parcel of land designated as single-family residential, and the development was asking for uh, what's called RP3 zoning, which is like duplex, fourplex zoning. But essentially they did that so that they could put a few multi-unit 10 duplex developments in a like plus 66 single family houses but also allowed them to have slightly narrower lot widths and some things of that it, nature. it changed changed the lot size for the single family parts right, as proposed and right. now it, i will say this the rp3 would allow for a significantly denser 
quantity of properties per acre or like residences per acre than was proposed in the in the actual plan, but it also would allow theoretically for a significantly denser population. So when you have those kinds of zoning changes or plan changes, that is something that does tend to bring, I think, a higher level of scrutiny as a whole. Um, as a political matter, so basically you file that, you get the, you require the supermajority that comes up there. At the point at which you have, I think, that much protest, 55% of the neighboring properties essentially saying, hey, within wait, that boundary, within that, but that 185 feet saying, hey, we don't want this for these reasons, you have a pretty strong chance of getting two commission or two of the city council people on your side, right? The, the two in district commissioners. Right, right. With that, with that number, probably your your district representatives there are going to go with you. They're going to be very skeptical of approving the project, um, absent you know, like you know, skullduggery or something, or a, a really bad stated. I, I will say it that way: really bad stated reasons. Right. for that process. So you're going to have that, which that means you only need two more on your side, uh, to, you know, to, as, a, as a win to get you um, to, to prevent the project as proposed from going forward. And they got that. In fact, it, they got three more. Um, the vote failed, five, <coughs> five against four, four. Right, and let's look at that really quickly. Just I, th- I think it's important for people to know how everyone voted on that dais. This was probably, Jason, the first, you know, the first big vote, I think, that our new council, since the, since the election, our new council has taken. So let's just run through that re- really quickly. Voting yes on that was Mayor Bill Baird. Andrew Felker, John Lovell, and Hillary Shields. And then the no votes, as you, as you said earlier, the two District 3 representatives, Beto Lopez and Phyllis Edson voted no. Also joining in the no votes were Mia Pryor, Faith Hodges, and Fred DeMauro. Right. And so you'll see, um, you see the two new city council members, or two of the new ones, uh, voted against it, which is <clears throat> not uncommon, I think, for new city council members to be more swayable by public protest than some of the we'll call more grizzled city council people. Um, <clears throat> but in general, I think that that's something that, that you'll see there. So it, and we needed one or two of them, I mean, uh, in total, but they, they get three. So then that raises the next question, right? What's the, and this is something that I often would ask when I was on the planning commission is what's the alternative, right? What are we looking at as the alternative here? We don't know this answer yet, but. Right, right. I, I, so so the, the next part of process <laughs> Is is what hap- What happens next? Does this mean the developer is going to walk away, or does this mean the developer is going to go back to the drawing board, try to adjust things based on feedback from both the public, you know, the neighbors, as well as feedback maybe that came earlier in the process from city council or even from from planning commission? And that's going to be interesting to see because there there are choices there. And, and, and we have seen it, we've seen it happen both ways, Jason. We, when we've watched developments happen, sometimes the developer comes back and says, hey, I've mixed some things around to try to please everybody. Will this work? And then we've also seen it where the developer says, you know what? I don't want to make those changes. I don't think it's gonna, that will harm the development that I want to do. And they just walk away. So we'll wait and see what that is. Right. And so, I mean, some of this is obviously there, there, there is clearly there was some level of discontent that probably from the neighboring properties that cannot be assuaged by anything other than leaving it as undeveloped land. And those are, of course, you can't like, that's not, if you're going to develop the land, that's obviously going to go against that. So you almost have to put those complaints aside. Like I want that to stay open land forever. And the answer to that question is to be as blunt as possible. Well, you go buy the land and you can keep it whatever you want. But for people who are, you know, who have things that concerns that can be addressed, um, you know, road improvement conditions, um, you know, 
the whether they're a single or non, you know, whether it's single family or not single family, those sorts of things are are concerns that can be addressed. And we'll see if that next development of the next proposal comes in and says, okay, here's how we are responding to those to make it work. I think the other thing, and, and this isn't so much of a of a question of what's next, but a thing for for us to watch, Jason, is the issue of lot size. This is not the first time in the last year or so that we've seen this conversation come up where a developer has asked for either special permit or to change zoning so that a lot size for single-family development could be smaller. And that's an issue that's being tackled, I think, as the city looks at affordability, as the city looks at is there a need or a reason to build homes that maybe are lower than right now's current average home-building price. Um, and, and, you know, that was a question that you and I asked a lot of the candidates during, during the election season was, we're talking about teacher salaries, we're talking about public safety salaries, lots of other salaries, right? Can new full-time workers, new people in their careers, can they afford to live in homes in our community? Right. And, and those are good questions, and those are things they're going to ask. So I think we're going to see these conversations about lot size happen more often. Right, and I, I'll, um, to, to put it in context, nothing that was in this proposal was anything close to what we would call starter firefighter affordable stuff. These are 2,700 to 3,600 square foot single family homes that were probably going to retail for 350 to $450,000. So this was not, this was not a, like, you know, anything remotely approaching right. quote, I think that's affordable a good, that's a good housing. Note to make. But I would say this. So one of the things that a developer can do to maintain costs, to keep costs, because the cost, like the physical cost of construction is not going down anytime soon. But the, to maintain that is to put more pieces, more houses in a given set of square footage. And I will say, like, the the number of lots per acre was still under the standard for R1, which was what this would have in, in their comprehensive plan been part of. So that wasn't even the biggest concern. But to do that in, in terms of dealing with the the square footage and the way that the, the terrain and all the things that were out there, that was the big issue that, you know, one of the things that they wanted to do is to be able to have some narrower lots. And you can still do that in an R1 development without changing the zoning. Um, to allow for that, you can do some, you can get variances on just that part without the multifamily part. So there are ways to do that. But we've, we've seen some resistance from prior councils and now from this council to given some of that, you know, they have some resistance to, to making that adjustment. Though I, I, I would suspect in the, the end picture, that's going to be one of the places where we see, like, zoning standards change. You know, we've seen, in, and this is not happening in Lee Summit, so let me be perfectly clear up front. But we've seen in some other communities, Minneapolis being one of them, where the they've outlawed single-family zoning and, like, exclusive single-family zoning, I would say that. So you can't have it but you can still build single family properties if you want you just can't zone specifically just for that but to see that the the middle step in there is can we do things to make the homes more affordable more affordable to build because um, there's a point at which there's i mean look there's only so many people in the metropolitan area that can afford to buy a four hundred thousand dollar home like there's a finite number of those people and there's a lot of competition for those dollars all over the metro up north Johnson County, out here, Blue Springs, you name it, right? There's a lot of competition for that. So one of the things we need to do is figure out how do we build homes that people, like, that can keep in that median cost level that people can actually afford to purchase. And maybe being a little flexible with lot width 
is one of you know 55 feet instead of 70 is not a huge like it's not a huge sacrifice right and that's i think that's just those are going to be the conversations between developers between residents and and city staff and elected officials to watch how that how those roll out and kind of where where the city decides to go we don't know but this won't be the last time we talk about that but the main reason we brought this up jason was this was a good example uh, again of process of how residents can get involved and help make those decisions absolutely so and it's good and i i mean and so there we'll see what happens with the development going forward or with that that piece of land going forward and how it's proposed if anything else is proposed in an alternative i suspect there will be but we'll interested to see how it looks There we go. That will wrap us up for this week. We will talk to everybody next time.